I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. They want to be a podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series, Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me is my co-host, Kyler K. Jafari. Howdy, y'all. In this crazy time, it feels like everybody is watching everything. Like, this is a good time to embrace the things you love and remember and need to revisit. It's comfort food, you know? It's like I... I need my Fleetwood Mac last tango in the night album. I need, you know, all of the greatest movies from my imagination. Well, and it's a time to experience the stuff that you've always said, oh, I want to watch. I'm like so sick on social media. People are like, I'm bored. I've watched everything. I've, I've done Netflix. I've seen everything. And it's like, bitch, no, you haven't. Because I still talk to all these people and I'm like, Oh, did you ever watch Twin Peaks? No, I'm getting around to it. Well, there's that side of it too, right? Like you can revisit the things that you know and remember and love and then you can go down rabbit holes and just consume as much as possible. Yeah, if you're staying safe and sheltering in place, just go down all the rabbit holes. We went down a rabbit hole. The film is called Written on the Wind. From 1957, maybe maybe 56. I don't remember. Somewhere I never, I never heard of her before. Well, the title is sort of like memorable. Well, it's a song too, but it's a memorable title, even if you've never even like knew it was a film. But I have like John Waters to thank. Oh, I wondered why we were watching "Rain on the Wind," which has some heavyweights. We should start with who's in this film. Yeah, well, it starts with Douglas Sirk, actually, who is this great German director who made all these American melodramas um, and sort of in a weird way perfectly encapsulated what the 1950s was, like in, in all of its Technicolor screwed up glory. Uh, and I think this film sort of is the sort of hood ornament for you all of are that. burying the lead. We have Lauren Bacall. Well, we haven't even gotten into who's My in it. Goddess, so yes, 
who I love from her, what is it, High Point Coffee commercials? Yeah, we love them commercials. <laughs> That's another, if you just want just a fun moment to feel comfortable in, in this time of need. Well, but that's like queen goddess Lauren Bacall. Written on the Wind is like young, nubile Lauren Bacall. Although, my God, she's still got that smoky voice. Actually, nubile is a good word because she is sort of a lioness. You know, like you really get the feel for what was such a big deal about her you know and her glory days yeah she has you know? gravitas then you've got robert stack unsolved mysteries host way so funny the mysteries were unsolved robert stack he looks the same age in unsolved mysteries as he does here it's like he's always been 47 like there's something about him <laughs> i don't you know? know about that he definitely looks younger to me but he plays a drunk and then there's Rock Hudson, future Dynasty guest star, right? Well, there. Okay, so the thing about Rock Hudson is he's gay. Well, yeah, that too. But that's I don't know. There's like I don't get it. I just don't get it. Like, he's, don't get what? He's not unattractive, but you know, and his acting style is fine. But there's just nothing. He's lacking the charisma, and I don't understand why he was such a big damn deal at the time. I think there's like a boy next door energy that maybe we don't understand in the 20s that they had in the 50s. The thing about this movie, I... For me, I juxtapose it with Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, which is basically the same year or right around. Except instead of Lauren Bacall, you've got Liz Taylor. Instead of Rock Hudson, you've got Paul Newman. They're the two most beautiful people on the face of the planet at the time. And instead of um, who's a Robert Stack? Well, I don't know. Well, it it kind of breaks down at that point. But um, but anyway, I'm just saying like these two movies kind of like go hand in hand in some weird way. And I recommend both of them together uh, because they're about like wealthy families and the screwed up dynamic. But anyway, just to stick with written on the wind. I, I love the opening. It's just like the most glorious three and a half minutes. You kind of could just watch that and not even watch the rest of the film. Well, it's really ahead of its time because it's one of those movies or TV shows that starts at the end and then Mm -hmm. like flashes back to the beginning, which I either love or hate that. I feel like that is such a hit or miss narrative structure for things to do. Well, the thing is, is it's it's a it's a very like big gimmick. So you need to treat it as such. But they were doing this in 1956. I mean, that's pretty revolutionary. I don't know how revolutionary that is, but it is. It's a gimmick. And so you have to like acknowledge that. And they really work with it because this whole film is just it's kind of low key campy. I think some people probably would watch this and not realize. Well, okay. so the reason I brought this up and the reason I thought that you were making me watch this old ass movie was that. There were some like connections, maybe tangentially or spiritually to La Dynasty, because it's the screwed up wealthy family, as you were saying, but it's set mostly in Texas. And uh, Dorothy Malone is also in it. She's the other star and she plays Robert Stack's like little sister. By the way, we didn't acknowledge Dorothy Malone kind of steals the whole film. Oh, yes. Like, She's chewing up. And all I, I believe she scenery. actually won an Oscar for this role. So I, I totally get normally I don't give a shit about Oscars, but I get why she got an Oscar for this. But yeah, it's kind of it felt to me as I was watching it like if there was a prequel to Dynasty and we saw what was happening with like young Blake and young Alexis and 
you know, maybe some of their friends. Like it felt like that was what this movie was. So I thought that's why you were making me watch it. But no, it just kind of ran. Well, it was mostly because somebody uploaded it, and I was like, oh my god, I I've been trying to get a copy of this to watch, and I refused to buy a used DVD for twenty five dollars on eBay or whatever because I hadn't seen this since I was like I don't know. Well, I won't say how young I was, but. Anyway, no, I, it's it's like a, a weird kismet because it does totally tie into like Dynasty in that weird way. But what's so funny is like, so after we watched it, I looked up some just info and there's this really great review by uh, Roger Ebert. And this is so funny. He says, this is a perverse and wickedly funny melodrama in which you can find the seeds of Dallas, Dynasty, and all the other primetime soaps. Douglas Sirk is the one who established. I just dropped my microphone. Yeah, right. He's Douglas Sirk is the one who establishes their tone in which shocking behavior is treated with passionate solemnity while parody burbles beneath. And I'm like thinking, yeah, for sure. Like this is totally everything I could not express but knew about this movie. So anyway, I I highly recommend and it's a quick watch. It doesn't drag anywhere. The pacing's no, no. great. Yeah, it's totally easy to watch. And the performances are great. I mean, I don't know about that script. You have there are some leaps of faith that you have to take with the relationships between some of these characters. But it's very sumptuous and fun and yeah. Like I said, if you've always wanted a prequel to Dynasty and you've never seen Written on the Wind, here it is. Oh, what I was gonna say was Dorothy Malone's character very much gives me like Fallon's grandmother or young Alexis vibes. There's something kind of like Yeah, she's def- definitely the calculating strong woman that's repressed by male society. Mm-hmm. I get that it seems like we're running out of maybe like new things to watch while we're all in lockdown but you know take a look back there's everything old is new again there's some gems uh i have to say written on the wind was far more interesting than this week's episode kirby Ugh, i'm dreading having to talk about it but not really because i you're not you want to spend the next 30 minutes shitting on kirby (laughs) which is what we're gonna do right after this break Today's installment of Dynasty As They Want To Be is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our darlings a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash nastypodcasts. That's N-A-S-T-Y podcast to browse their unrivaled selection of audio programs. They have like over 470,000 titles like um, The Road and Bleak House and Stephen King's The Stand, which I thought were all fiction, but now I don't know. I'm sure you can find something you love on there. Simply go to audibletrial.com slash nasty podcast to get started today. Welcome back. Kyler, you're filling our champagne glasses up as we record because we need to be nice and lubricated as we talk about Kirby. We uh, see in the opening credits that Kathleen Baleen? Kathleen Beller. Beller uh, is is introduced. So I'm going to say it again. Same thing with Jeffrey Scott. Didn't look into her background because don't like the character so sorry y'all well i actually want to start with a retraction i take back everything i said about mark jennings and jeffrey scott i know i've been kind of bitchy about the introduction of him but compared to this kirby character i love this is what i was saying about like the episode before where they just sort of spring her on you and that's just 
shitty writing, but you know, it's it's soap opera, so you're I guess you're just supposed to roll with it, but I don't like when there's this revisionist history. We've never heard of Kirby. We had no right. idea that Joseph had a daughter. With Adam at least a seed was planted. And, and with Mark, you kind of heard about him since the beginning. With yes, Crystal, we knew so. there was a, a mm. Mr. Jennings at some point, but we, this we never Kirby, wanted to meet him. I don't know. Maybe I'm war- warming up to him a little bit. I can see he's bringing something different. With Kirby, I'm getting like, okay, they had to say goodbye to Sammy Joe, Heather Locklear, and they had to say goodbye to Pamela Bellwood, Claudia Blaisdell. And this character feels like some kind of weird amalgamation of both, but it's like two great tastes do not taste great together. Like she's not as sexy as Heather Locklear and she's not as crazy as Pamela Bell. I think the writers were trolling the audience just to see how much they could get away with. It's It should be sensational, but it's not. It's just like, here's another random character. Enjoy, everybody. And she's a poor person. We don't need more poor people on this show. We need more rich people, which I think is something Wait, that is they... this how poor people dressed in the 1980s? Oh, well, I mean... Like, like Madeline? I know. <laughs> that I was going to say Madeline, too. When she first walked in, I was like, this is a fucking cartoon character of a young woman who lived in France for, you know, a hot minute. Although they all act like she's been away and nobody's, like, seen what she looks like. I know they don't have, like, the internet and selfies, but shouldn't Joseph, like, know what his grown-up daughter looks like? It was a strange, like, moment, like, when she's just sort of, like, talking to a turtle and Jeff shows up by the pool. I don't know. It's just uh, the whole the whole introduction and scene is, like, not... Too much. Not great television. And she just, like, lets it all loose. As I expected, you've become a very distinguished man in these five years. Distinguished and even more handsome. Oh, there, I said it. <laughs> the other secret is out, finally. What secret? I had this gigantic crush on you. But there was one gigantic snag. You only had eyes for Fallon, remember? Oh, yes. What I what I kind of like, though, which I don't think the writers thought about, but she, is the turtle called Jeffrey? That's what she calls it, yeah. And so then it's like, well, wait, is this turtle just a stand-in for Jeff? And, like, and then you think about it. Well, Jeff is this sort of, like, cute but powerless thing that outlasts everybody on the like think he's the only actor who made it all the way through the show you are bringing like way too much intellectualism to the fact that they had a turtle walking around the carrington backyard the only thing i liked about her introduction is that the car dropped her off like in the back did you notice that she didn't get to come (laughs) in through the front door service entrance in the rear Uh, so I did like that touch. But obviously they're setting it up that she's going to be the new nanny and she's going to be trying to get in Jeff's pants. I can, If I can see where everything is going, I'm not interested in getting in the vehicle. Yeah, because it's like, okay, I already know that story. Now we can move along. Yeah. Like I, yeah I'm if not... I already know that when she first steps foot into the Well, And this show... is the problem with like, oh, now she's she's got her own title card. So it's like, we're going to be stuck with her for a while. And like, I don't, I'm not interested in that story and I don't want to sit through it for the next season or however long she's here. And if she was a hot piece of ass like Sammy Joe, then maybe I might be amenable to it. I mean, I think she's kind of undercover a hot piece of ass. I'm not feeling it. I wish she, you know, uh, steps out in that little red wrap dress No, later. I, I think, you know, they, they kind of do her some service. I want to see her in some hot pants. Maybe that's the only thing that can save little this for me. Little red wrap dress. Uh. Uh. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, I'll I'll just sum it up with Kirby. She tells Joseph, aka Daddy, or no, sorry, Papa. Papa. Yeah, with all of her French pretensions, like what is that? Like another another eighties thing? Like you know how everything's all glossy and glamorous, and like she's doing this French education thing. So. Well, you know, it's like when Madonna moved to London and then she got the accent. She inherited it's like, that you accent. Fucking yeah. fake bitch. That's not true. <laughs> like, but to her, okay, so to. Kirby's credit, um, she does say she's done with all of that, and she does say she's back, and I'm here to stay. And it's like, oh shit, she just like clenched it. Like now I know I'm stuck with her for a good long while. I mean, if she can be conniving, maybe I can come around because she does just soak up all of that tea that Jeanette starts spilling about Jeff and Fallon having marital troubles, which. How embarrassing for Jeff and Fallon that the help is like down in the kitchen talking about their broken marriage. I couldn't imagine living like that. Yeah, it's like less gossip, more toilet scrubbing, please. (laughs) Oh, speaking of toilet scrubbers, we finally get some good long moments with Marsha. I know. World's worst secretary ever. I think this is the first time that we get to see Marsha personified. Now, you know, I have had disdain for Marsha. She really is the most terrible executive assistant. I think there's been, what, three, four, 19 instances of her getting people's... And it's the old, like, you know, who's on first thing. Like, Mr. Carrington's here to see you. Mrs. Carrington's here to see you. But it's always the wrong Mr. or Mrs. And so Blake gets tricked again by Marsha. She's she's a, a trickster, that that lady. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the only way that they can have a surprise entrance is to have a really dumbass secretary. But <laughs> I, a surprise I entrance through the game show doors. I would have fired her ass. <laughs> like, what is the... those doors? They have this like weird like terrazzo faux painting thing on them. Well, and they always make a different noise every time they. Yeah, slam shut. the foley artists cannot like align with. with yeah, some, pick with a lane, dude. A sound effect. But yeah, I like that we get to see Marsha and the other secretary, Colby's secretary, who's now Alexis and Adam's secretary. What's her name? Catherine. Alexis uses Catherine to bring Crystal to the tennis court. So poor. And she seems like a sweet older lady. So I feel bad that she gets drawn into like redecorating Cecil's office and fucking around with Crystal. But whatever happened to that British babe secretary from the first season. I guess she got deported. I'm such a dumb bitch because that was what's her name from Dark Shadows. I and I kept saying like I recognize her from somewhere. I like her. What did she do before? Dark Shadows apparently. Badur. Anyway, but that's not who's on, you know, on the filing cabinet today, so whatever. Yeah, well, more importantly, we get a lot of business stuff with Blake and Shale oh God, Oil. The business, the business. I thought well, we were done with Shale Oil. This is interesting here only because this is sort of the underpinnings of the early 80s recession. See, today it would maybe be considered rude to make a show that's so opulent and over the top when like so many people were out of jobs and well, not able to make their rent. Well, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So I don't maybe in some ways we're going through the same thing right now, you know, like we're all these like stupid streaming reality shows about like, you know, empty headed rich people are so entertaining because like nobody wants to think about what's happening right now. Of course, of course. That's the way entertainment always is. Yeah. And of course, then you get the angle where he's got like the senator in his pocket, but then turns out so does Alexis like 
I love how all these like multi-billionaire types like basically pull the strings in government and their you know state politics but that's a little I too guess that's to be expected. art imitating life for me and I don't like it I don't like it when they pull in politicians here like remember when Blake was going to come after Logan Rhinewood. Oh, yeah. That's PTSD. I don't want to think about that stuff. Yeah, it didn't work then, and this isn't working out. Now, let's talk about shale oil, because the last time shale oil got brought last up Last time on, on shale show, oil. they It was Cecil trying to figure out the shale oil extraction processes using Claudia Blaisdell's tits and ass as a way to get those files and now we've got Adam trying to figure it out so he can bring that technology over to Colby Co. It seems like the secret to big business is just go break into a file cabinet. All the all the magic will be unlocked. Yeah, they don't have any servers or anything. But you know what shale oil is? It's basically fracking. Yeah, shale oil is a very polite way of saying fracking. So if you didn't think that Denver Carrington, and more specifically Blake Carrington, was a nasty bitch now he's like wants to destroy the environment with all of this fracking business this is more about how business takes care of itself not people and it all speaks very much of like the the sort of 80s-ness of it all like where you know greed is good so you also get that with adam and jeff the name of the game is winning win a little bit here win a little bit there is that your strategy in this war Force Blake to the wall and take over Denver Carrington bit by bit? Well, I fought that battle when my uncle owned Colby Co., and I'm sure as hell going to fight it now that I own half a Colby Co. myself. Bravo. Bravo. For those noble words from my always noble brother-in-law. Which that sort of like implies that being noble is not a trait that's fit for, you know, the 80s. Uh, and then I think Jeff even spits back to him like, well, we don't have do to we all have barracudas. to be barracudas. Yeah. Ooh, so barracudas. <laughs> my favorite heart song. The business angle here in this episode, I think, kind of bears itself out, whereas normally I hate the shop talk. Here, I think it kind of underpins a lot of the aesthetics of the 1980s and the, and the you know, yeah, political you, motivations. You have to be evil. You have yeah. to be evil to be successful. That's the lesson here. And I guess that means Jeff isn't cut out to rise to the top, but Adam is. Well, Jeff's just a turtle, you know. He'll be here after everybody else is gone. Season nine. I did think that Adam was going to be more savvy, but then it kind of turns out that he's just going to like use some poisonous paint. To... He's just, Adam is just pure psychotic, and that's what I love about him. I mean, his character doesn't work any other way. Do we really know what's going on at the paint shop? I mean, I already know because I've seen this, but I mean, I, I don't want to spoil too much either. So, Well, what just... I got from it was Adam is throwing a little temper tantrum because Jeff is getting in his way from this company that, you know, a month ago he didn't have well, any rights to. Who got 50-50 ownership? I guess it was Alexis and Jeff. It's or... Alexis and Jeff. Alexis. So why doesn't... isn't Alexis camped out in that ugly office and redecorating it? Wouldn't that be so much more exciting than Darling, she'd rather Adam paint going on and the... buying some lead paint she'd or whatever She'd rather paint the on the balcony. She's not into all of this business stuff. Yeah, Although I, she kind of is. I love that she she's says... like, a, just like the owner that phones it in from her balcony at her penthouse. Or know? from the back <laughs> of her uh, limo. Or the back of her limo. Oh my God. So, well, this is the second appearance um, of of her 1964 Silver Cloud 3, but it's coach built and stretched as a limo. 
And of course, she's got a push button, you know, mobile cellular phone. It's just great. I, there's nothing like watching a set of Lee press on nails punching buttons on a phone. And from the side, she doesn't need to see those numbers the That's right way right. up. No, she's memorized <laughs> it all. She's she she's knows. such a better secretary than that bitch Marsha. But yeah, I mean, Alexis is far more consumed with Mark Jennings and getting Mark and Crystal in the same room or should I say same tennis court together. So, Mrs. Colby? What do we talk about this afternoon? You and my dear, unhappy friend, Crystal. <laughs> you know, I never expected that you'd show up here, not after the way that you ticked me off in New York. But here you are, in Denver, and at La Mirage. So I have to assume that you still have some interest, as it were, in Crystal. I'm starting to get tired of this. I don't understand what Alexis really hopes to gain, and I I'm even more confused about why Mark and Crystal, who we have seen several flashback scenes with, had such a falling out. It just seems like he had a little bit of a drinking problem. He wasn't like beating her, raping her like her current husband has done. So well, I can't figure out, is this like casual alcoholism? Because then he like has a draft beer, as he calls it, at the tennis club with Alexis. While there. he's on the clock. Well, but I, it's the 80s. Like everybody's still drinking all the time back then. So I don't yeah. know. And a draft beer is basically water. Yeah, especially if you're an alcoholic. So I don't and I'm not trying to I, I don't understand what they're, what they're trying to establish here with his character. Yeah, I don't understand why we were flashing back. It didn't seem like it was that jarring or dramatic. Dramatic. It's like okay. I think they just discovered the flashback story device and decided we needed some more of that. Well, and darling, written on the wind was doing it back in '56. Yeah, but see, written on the wind had the wind blowing the calendar pages backwards in time, which was like such a hot detail. Yeah, all here we have is just, some like Vaseline around the corners yeah, of the land. Here is just tennis shorts and fake Tom Selleck and it's just not Don't forget not that long blonde wig, that flashback <laughs> wig for Crystal. Her hair <laughs> flashback wig. Her hair was different. <laughs> There's a name for your next punk rock band. I mean, the one thing I do get out of that flashback is <laughs> Crystal says to Mark, "Why do I love you so much?" And he says, Maybe we should pin it down once and for all. Like, ew, like more marital rapey stuff. And like, this is like she already did this with Blake, uh, you know, in season one. Okay, but I know this is a hot take and I know that she was maritally raped. But seeing these flashbacks, the only thing that I get from it is more confirmation that Crystal is a sub. Okay, in the BDSM community, she would be a submissive. I think she gets off on being pinned down. I still think you're woman shaming her for, no, for being a victim of I think you're kink circumstances of society. I at think that you're time. kink shaming her. I think if she gets really turned on by getting pinned down and having her hair pulled, there's nothing wrong with that. Look, if I as saw as her like in a leather romper with some patent stilettos, I would agree with your theory but you know she's always wearing all these like soft pastel colors and beiges and topes and and smoky eye i don't i don't get the bdsm well, angle a lot all. of that stuff is baggy and you don't know what's underneath anyway we finally get to see crystal and mark meet up and it's kind of anticlimactic i thought like there was no revelation she was just sort of confused and 
he didn't really have a point Yeah, they really to fumbled this because Mark's character is not really that necessary except to deliver storytelling. And then they don't really tell much of a story. Like these two... It's a great opportunity yeah. to shed light on Crystal mostly, but also this new guy, Mark. And yeah, this, this should have been like asteroids and nuclear bombs. And instead, you know, it's... A pebble on the pond. Yeah. Skipping across. But I do like how Mark stands up for himself. And then I know they briefly passed and they weren't sure who each other was. But I can't wait for Blake to understand who Mark is. And the fact that Crystal's first husband is not only in Denver, but working at his daughter's hotel. I mean, hopefully it'll happen in the next episode. I but. mean, the only thing that still holds up about this is that Alexis arranged it all. And... She did it in true Alexis fashion where it's all just sort of implied and insinuated, you know, like she literally insinuates Mark into Crystal's life again because like he's working for the family at this point, basically. Yeah, I guess I didn't think about it like that. It is kind of even more. Nefarious. And it wasn't as easy as just writing a check and getting Mark to come out like she put the idea into his head and then he started having dreamy flashbacks about raping Crystal on their wedding I don't night think and... he was raping her. <laughs> I don't know. Don't I, say that. I just think it, there's so much ooey ickiness about like those flashbacks. I still kind of can't stop flashing back. There's a couple of things about this episode that I think are just fantastic. First one being um, the breakfast talk in the morning with Blake and Fallon, uh, where he's basically sort of indicting her for not accepting Adam as her brother. And he says, what's your issue with him? Did something happen? And she kind of just says, I will remain silent. And so that's very interesting because then Blake says, well, then that's it. It's done. There's nothing to talk about. You know, it is saying that because you won't express it, it didn't happen. And this is like very sort of meta about repressing women in society and things aren't real if you can't say them. But then there's a lot of reasons why women wouldn't say things. But in this instance, I feel like she needs to repress these feelings that she had for her brother. Misogynist. Before she Misogynist. knew he was his brother. Yeah, but doesn't the threat of incest kind of outweigh the possibility of being misogynistic? I don't know. I feel like she's doing what she has to do, but... Well, I think then he goes and sends her that big-ass bouquet of flowers. Fallon, you can't go on trying to fight me this way. It's wrong. Who are you? Who are you, really? I'm your brother. And you're my sister, and we can't be on opposite sides. You're not my brother. No. Then why don't we just pick up where we left off? Remember? Get out of here. Bro, that is not something that a new brother who was flirting with his sister a couple of days ago well, should do. I do think part of Fallon's wish to remain silent there is also her resentment that Stephen's been replaced by Adam. Mm -hmm. That They don't really pick up that storyline too much. Like That's still just sort of like... But I like the fact that it's even being mentioned because they could have easily well, they're just still keeping, forgotten Yeah, they're keeping Stephen on your mind because mm -hmm. he's going to mm -hmm. come back eventually. They just haven't figured out who's going to do it yet. The, the, uh, but the other thing I love about this theme is later 
we have Alexis and Fallon. Fallon is questioning Alexis about Mark showing up at La Mirage as the tennis pro. But I like that Fallon is questioning her mother. So first of all, that does suggest that Fallon has sort of reinvested a little bit in her relationship with her mother, but also she's still hashing it out and she knows her she knows her mother. She knows that Mark's yeah. Mark's she- Mark's there because of Alexis. Mm-hmm. But she hasn't figured out just exactly how. And Alexis says, just sit back and watch things happen between your father and that woman. So I love this because she's basically telling Fallon to just shut up and watch and let things happen. So it's another one of these like, don't say it. Because if you don't say it, it's it, it's not real. I, I don't know. There's there's just a lot of like, you know, sort of, I don't know. I'm, I'm over intellectualizing as usual. Well, but, here's the thing. But it is how Fallon is disempowered. And so this is like what we always have with her, how she's sort of second wave feminist, but she never really quite transcends the society in which well, she she's very is. she's very smart, but she's not as experienced as her mother or father, obviously, because she's younger. So I think what you have is you have Alexis thinking multiple steps ahead and Blake does it too and they know sometimes you have to think multiple steps ahead and then let things play out whereas Fallon is thinks very much in the here and now and wants to control things as much as she can and doesn't give that power so it yeah that is interesting to point out but um well, maybe my, hopefully Fallon's learning from from dear the, old mom. the second thing that I love about this episode ties into that, uh, especially that scene, because and to what you're saying as well, we get to Alexis painting roses on her terrace, which I think we both agreed that terrace that balcony doesn't fit the establishing shot but no that's fine. Uh, clearly the set became came before the exterior shot because that balcony does not exist in denver colorado anywhere alexis is painting roses and she tells adam painting for her is an analytical exercise i love this because who would consider a creative pursuit to be analytical Uh, Only Alexis, because the way that she works and the way that she thinks is these sort of like swirly, not really structured, and it's all just kind of implied and insinuated, but it kind of is all calculated at the same time. And that's what she's doing here. She's painting roses, and later uh, we hear Kirby talking about getting delivered roses, and then the best part is Crystal pricking herself on a rose yeah causing a flashback uh which all just goes back to alexis like yeah so it's a little bit i just i i know like okay it's like sleeping beauty was the one where she pricks her finger and sleeps for 100 years or what i don't remember so that's not really what's going on here but i like kind of like the fairy tale vibe to it that alexis is like painting roses that prick crystal and then take her to a flashback which all entangles with her thing with Mark and the plot that Alexis is is cooking up. So there's just so much there that I think is aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, I did like the fact that they went from her painting the roses to Crystal getting pricked by the roses, and it was some nice iconography. But yeah, I agree. I don't know if they totally went all the way with it because then we just sort of end with Adam and going to buy some poisonous paint. <laughs> poisonous paint. <laughs> Which, uh, if you think about it, it's kind of another sort of like weird fairy tale, you know, 
reflected in a funhouse mirror, maybe. Fairy tale. I was getting like passions season three from that. It was well, you know, if you think about it, maybe soap opera is less rooted in opera and more rooted in fairy tale because it is all these like ridiculous sort of uh tropey gimmicky storytelling things um that are somehow pleasing to our minds even today we can watch something from 40 years ago and enjoy it and talk about it yeah well hopefully we'll be enjoying and talking about future episodes because this one really didn't do it for me Now it's time for the part of the episode where Kyler and I decide our lurks of the week. Kyler, what was your favorite fashion from this week's episode? Well, you're going to hate this, and probably most people should, but... You're going to pick that grapefruit with the cherry on top that Alexis was eating. No, because I'm not doing gimmicks today. (laughs) No, I actually like Fallon's weird like Bulgarian milkmaid outfit... And that's only because the off the shoulder number. Yeah, it's well, it's it's off the shoulder, but it's not off the shoulder. It's just asymmetrical, and there's a flounce over the neckline. But then you got that open open work lace kind of panel thing going on, and then you've got the the peasant belt. It's it's actually it's funny because uh, Linda Evans is also in a sort of peasant belt, like with some you know chunky strings what and is a peasant belt is that it's, what it's really called I, I don't know what you call that because i'm not a lady but it's like you know it's sort something of, that dingle dangles it's it's a wide belt with some sort of you know beading or decorative work done to it well and there was a lot of beading and decorative work because it was a very brief scene but at one point crystal had just come from writing and she had something dingle dangling right between her legs no that's what i'm saying I, there's an there's a weird thing going on in this episode where you know both of them are wearing these like dingle dangle belts i'm sorry but if you're horseback you can't have some puka shells between me down there i i can't believe crystal is even back in the saddle after what happened to her so nervy oh that's true all of alexis's clothes are fine here and i know very it's like off normal, the rack this episode yeah. very mm-hmm. off the rack pret-a-porter mm-hmm. yeah i was more i was more enjoying everything that alexis was eating and drinking this episode i think she had a pina colada at the tennis club was that a pina colada that's that's what i thought but then i saw like a lemon s- was there was a lemon twist in it though so then i, I think was like I, or was I, that pineapple i don't know i saw pineapple i saw cherry there there was ice in it. I, I think. was having delusions of Tom Collins for a minute because I was like, well, maybe there's a Tom Collins, but then did they don't really put cherries in that. Too I don't milky know. for Tom Collins. But yeah, she had that crazy ass tropical drink at La Mirage. Then she had the grapefruit and then she had chocolate covered strawberries, which I guess were a very exotic dessert item to have. Well, it's almost impertinent the way that she delivered that to Fallon. Like Fallon comes in with real issues and she's like, well, why didn't we just have a chocolate-covered strawberry, you know? It's like, well, wait, that's so irrelevant. That has nothing to do with what we were just talking about. Oh, I'm with Alexis. Why don't you put... put- we're all with Alexis. Like, Alexis knows how to live. She is teaching it us the way It sounds like you're not with chocolate strawberries. Well, I do like that the chocolate strawberry, like, plops on the plate after she, you know, is done with it. It makes the same noise as Blake Carrington's office door does. Exactly. <laughs> But the yeah, Foley artist is running out of tricks. I agree. I was not feeling her outfits this episode. I was more into her food. And I agree. Fallon's outfit, after we've been dragging her through the mud with her Stevie Nicks Victorian fakery, uh, they they finally got it right with her this episode. I, 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 maybe that's why I like this so much, because it's 
she's been she dressing this way, but this finally evolves to a point, and then everybody else is just sucking so hard in the wardrobe department. I mean, you even got a moment with Alexis, you know, with Mark, with her pina colada. Uh, she's clearly out of half mourning. She's like full on white, but it's edged in black, and it's just sort of a, a third redo of the original suit she entered the show on well, and it wasn't one. cut very well it looks like she just went to Bloomingdale's yeah, and just, didn't have it tailored it's so. sort of like now we have the third evolution of this look from season one when you were at court and it's totally not working at all anymore so yeah just i don't need a fourth or a fifth or a sixth but but evolution is what fallon definitely has done with her outfit in this episode and it helps that she wears it in so many scenes so you get to see her walking in it you get to see different there's angles. definitely a lot to be said for how they wasted money on clothes you know like again there were some like great clothes on alexis three or four episodes ago that you saw literally in a scene. I mean, maybe there's there's that in this episode even. Oh, but that, they're not I feel great like clothes. that happens all the time on this show is that yeah. sometimes I'll like something that's only in, especially Crystal a lot. I think I see some of her outfits that I like and they're only on for like, you know, a three second scene where she comes in and pours some coffee. Fuck, all this food talk makes me really wish I had some chocolate covered strawberries to eat right now. <laughs> Well, Kyler, as they say, this episode of Dynasty as they want to be is written on the wind. Because it's written on my heart. Well, if you're still listening this far, we want to make sure to remind you that if you enjoy Dynasty as they want to be, write us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you can review podcasts. Let everybody know how much you love Dynasty and you love us chitter-chattering about it while drinking champagne and eating chocolate-covered strawberries. You can also follow us on social media. We're at Nasty Podcast. That's N-A-S-T-Y Podcast. And if you want even more, we have a Patreon where we have ad-free episodes and bonus episodes and all kinds of fun content patreon.com slash nasty podcast oh lord won't you buy me a mercedes bands all right everybody stay safe out there keep your social distancing wear your masks wash your hands wash your pussies keep everything clean and don't drink lysol drink really dry kava wait this isn't champagne <laughs> tricked you
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.